Back in 2001, Keith Getty and Stuart Townsend wrote a song called In Christ Alone. I was a worship pastor back then, and I was so excited because it was this new song with a traditional hymn feel, something that nobody had really done up to that point. I led it at church all the time. And now, 18 years later, we're still singing that song in the church where I serve and in churches all over the world. But I remember the first time it hit me. That line in the second verse, till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. I was in the middle of some serious questioning about why Jesus died. Was it because God was so angry, so full of wrath, that somebody had to die? That's what I had always been taught, but I really wasn't seeing it that way. And I was super disappointed on that day because I really loved that song. And now it's all messed up for me. Welcome to Deeply Spiritual, but Rather Uncertain. So today I want to talk about the wrath of God. I promised back in season one that we would unpack this subject in a little more depth, but then I just never got around to it. So I figure that now is as good a time as any. It's been one of those questions that has come up whenever I've challenged the idea that God is angry or that God is judgmental. People say, but what about God's punishment on us when we sin? I mean, what about justice? You can't just let sin go unpunished, can you? And after all, doesn't the Bible say that God's wrath is poured out on sinners? The word wrath shows up almost 200 times in the Bible. If you're reading the New International Version or the King James Version or many others, It's really a word that can't be ignored. But let me tell you the truth. I wish I could ignore it. I don't like the word. And every time it is attributed to God, it just makes me cringe. I would love to ignore it. I was having lunch with a really good friend the other day. And he asked me if I'm ever afraid that I'm creating God in my own image. What a fantastic question. And my immediate response was, yes, absolutely. Because the truth is that I do worry about that. Maybe I'm just making God into something that is comfortable, something that I can deal with. You know, kind of God according to Skip Collins, as it were. That was a few days ago, and that question has been running around in my brain ever since. I guess that's the danger of all my questioning and doubting and deconstruction. But then I also think it's the work of following Jesus. Is God pleased if we just blindly accept what someone has told us from the pulpit or in our Bible study group or in a book? Or is God more pleased if we wrestle and struggle and try to come to terms with who he is? 
And then the next question is, isn't that the best we can do? Isn't that what fills the pages of our Bibles? People struggling and wrestling with who God is, but always through a cultural filter and a personality filter and a time in history filter. And so they're just coming up with a version of God that in many ways is created in their own image. And the next question then is this. You can see how weird my mind is, right? I get one question, and it leads to another, and another, and another. Anyway, it leads to this question. Is, is God more concerned that we come up with exactly the right answer or the fact that we are asking the right questions? I think the latter is true, actually. All that to say this. I can't be honest with this journey if I ignore words like wrath and the idea of wrath in the Bible just because it's uncomfortable. It's not just a one-off proof text either that I have to deal with, but it's a theme that seems to come up both in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament over and over. So let's start with the traditional evangelical view of the wrath of God. The dictionary defines wrath as extreme anger. It's kind of flying off the handle, as it were. But the evangelicals are quick to point out that that's not what God's wrath actually looks like. They would argue that you have to understand God's anger and God's wrath through the entire lens of who God is through the lens of all of his attributes. So the truth is that wrath is actually more like God's justice than God's anger. If God is just, then you have to understand his wrath perfectly just as well. It's not a flying off the handle. It's a a wrath that is justified. So our evangelical view goes something like this. God cannot look on sin because he is holy. And so therefore, sin separates us from God. Sin angers God. To say that God hates sin would not be an overstatement. And so because God's righteousness or his justice has to be served, sin has to be punished severely. That punishment is the wrath of God. In other words, the wrath of God is poured out against all of humanity because we are all born into sin. But because God not only hates sin, but he's also a God of love, he provided a way for us to be in right standing with him by sacrificing his son. Instead of the wrath of God being poured out on me, it was poured out on Jesus on the cross. The wrath of God was satisfied. But there's still a catch. If we choose to live in our sin, we still face the wrath of God in terms of eternal torture like the world has never seen in a place called hell. 
But if we accept the finished work of Jesus on the cross and repent of our sins, then we are clothed in Christ's righteousness and we are exempt from God's wrath. Even as I write that, it's like someone taking their fingernails down a chalkboard and making that horrible squeaking sound. It just leaves me with so many questions that I could be going down rabbit hole after rabbit hole all day long, but I want to try to stick to the subject of God's wrath. Well, maybe one quick rabbit hole. Sorry, I can't help it. All of my life, I've heard that God cannot look on sin because of his holiness. Where does that come from? Well, it actually comes from one verse. Yes, just one verse in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 13. It says this, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So, boom, there it is, right there in Scripture. But if you take time just to read the rest of the verse, he says, So then why do you? I love that. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you? I mean, talk about creating God in our own image. The prophet has this idea that God can't look at sin because he's too holy and he doesn't get why God does it anyway. That's the one place that it really speaks of this idea that God is too holy to look on sin. There's another thing, though, that people point to once in a while, and it's Jesus on the cross. He's about to die, and he says the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I always thought that God looked away because he couldn't look at sin. That's what we were taught. The words of Jesus there are a direct quote from Psalm 22. It's an amazing psalm. You should go read it. It's a messianic psalm, which means that it points directly to Jesus. In verse 16, it speaks of the fact that his hands and his feet will be pierced. In verse 18, it speaks of the fact that they will cast lots for his clothes. But then look at verse 24. It says this, For God has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Could it be that Jesus' words were not about God turning his back, but rather Jesus pointing us to this messianic passage that says that God will never turn his back on him, even when he takes on the sin of the entire world. This idea that God cannot look on sin is just not true. Okay, enough of that rabbit hole. Let me get back to the subject at hand, God's wrath. I read a book recently that I highly recommend by Brad Jerzak 
called A More Christ-Like God. I'll put the link down below in the show notes if you want to check it out. His thoughts around the wrath of God were incredibly helpful for me, so I wanted to share some of this with you. The truth is that the only way we can really explain God is with metaphor. The Bible is full of it. God is a strong tower. God is a shepherd. God is a cleft in the rock. God has wings that he covers me with. God is a rock. God is a lion. God is a vine. I suppose if you counted them, there probably would be hundreds. But they are the ways that the writers of the Bible saw and experienced God and then tried to convey that experience. We understand metaphor. We get it. We know that God isn't really a rock or a lion. We know Jesus isn't a woolly lamb with seven horns. God is like a rock. God is like a vine or like a shepherd. In fact, I would think that the only way we can describe God is through a whole bunch of metaphors. God is way too vast and huge for any of our languages to describe him. So metaphor is not only common, it's incredibly important. The point that Brad Jerzak and others make is that this idea of God's wrath is actually to be seen as a metaphor. Let me just say that again. The idea of God's wrath is actually to be seen as a metaphor. A metaphor for the consequence of sin. Not God actively and aggressively punishing sin, but rather the consequence of sin working itself out in our lives and in the world. Now, that may sound crazy, but hang in there with me for a few minutes while I unpack this idea, and then you can decide if I'm crazy. Certainly, the Old Testament teaches the wrath of God as a direct, intentional, severe punishment from God. That is how the Old Testament writers understood God. But certainly, by the time you get to the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, This understanding has shifted a bit. Let me give you an example. If you read in the book of Numbers, chapters 16, 21, and 25, the people of Israel rebel against Moses' leadership and against God. In these stories, the writer tells us that the plagues of judgment come upon the people with people being slain by God in the tens of thousands, direct intentional, severe punishment from God. But in 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul unpacks this a little bit, and he explains it a little bit differently than the Old Testament writer understood it. Paul acknowledges that the people sinned and were actually testing God. But what killed them? Paul says it was their sin. And it was the serpents, and it was the enemy. Paul's warning is not that God will get you, but rather the natural consequences of that lifestyle will take you down. Greg Boyd calls it the intrinsic consequences of sin. 
It's not an intentional, direct, severe punishment from God. The wrath is a metaphor of the natural, intrinsic consequence of sin. Okay, so here's the question. Why do we think that God has to punish sin? Could it be that he actually doesn't? Could it be that sin has its own consequences? Could it be that God doesn't punish us at all, but we kind of punish ourselves? Romans is a favorite book when people want to speak about the wrath of God in the New Testament. Paul uses the phrase a number of times in that letter. Right in chapter 1, after making a few introductions, Paul says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. It goes on and it talks about people that are sexually abusing others. It speaks of people who have completely turned their back on God. And then in verse 24, Paul says this, God has turned them over to their own sinful desires. Here's how I read that. Not that God was punishing them, but that God allowed them to live in the consequence of their own sin. God turned them over. God allowed them to live out the consequence of their choices. In chapter 5, There's an interesting verse that we need to talk about. Paul writes these words, Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God through him? If you read this in the older New American Standard Version, the words of God, where it says wrath of God, the words of God are in italics. It's because the words of God of God are not found in any original versions. It just says we will be saved from the wrath. Now, most translations don't even use the italics because they say the words of God are implied. We are so indoctrinated with this idea that God has to punish sin that even our modern translations add words that just build on that narrative. In Romans 6, Paul speaks about the wages of sin. I've always read wages as punishment, the punishment for sin. But what if it's not? What if it's consequence? The consequence of sin is ultimately death, but God offers to free us from sin and thus its consequences. So often as a pastor, I've had people tell me they think God is punishing them. I ask them, so what did you do? And they often say, well, that's the problem. I don't really know what I did. If you think that, I have good news for you. He's not You may be living in the consequences of some of your choices, but that's very different 
than the idea that God is inflicting his wrath upon you. Ultimately, the intrinsic consequence of sin is death. I don't think Jesus died because God had to inflict punishment somewhere. Jesus died to overthrow death, to reverse the curse, as it were, the intrinsic consequence of sin. Let me leave you with this thought from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. We have been set free from sin and death. We have been forgiven. Now it's time to live like it. Before I sign off, I want to remind you how much I would love to hear from you. You can connect with me through Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or pop into my website. On the bottom of the right side of the page, you'll see a little speech bubble. Click on that and you can drop me a note or a question or a suggestion. And also for those of you that listen on iTunes, please rate and review this product. It moves me up in the search ratings, which is really helpful for others looking for content like this. So until next time, Shalom. Shalom.